Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, our God, our Father in heaven, who in the fullness of time did send forth thy Son to be the light of the world, and to gather for thee out of all kindreds of the earth a redeemed people. We give thee thanks and praise. We bless and hallow thy name for having so graciously provided for us and for our salvation. We thank thee that through faith in thy Son, Jesus Christ, we have received the adoption of sons so that we may call thee Father and believe that we are thy children. Even as thou didst guide the wise men of old by the star, guide us also by the power of the Holy Spirit and the teachings of thy holy word. Give thy blessing to all who serve in the ministry of the word. Help them to make known the message of the gospel as the only power unto salvation. Lord, give faith to the hearers of the word, adding to the church daily those that should be saved. These things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. For our meditation today, I am going to read from the Gospel according to St. Matthew in the second chapter, Matthew's record of the birth of Jesus and of the visit of the wise men. And I read in the Lord's name. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And then Herod 
when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Amen. This account of the birth of Jesus both supports and complements the record that St. Luke makes in his gospel. Both Matthew and Luke tell us that Jesus' birth took place in the town of Bethlehem in Judea. This is important because it calls attention to the fact that the prophet Micah was accurate in his prophetic writing when he said, But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. We all realize that accuracy of the scripture is most vital. Critics constantly try to find fault with the Holy Bible. They're always searching for discrepancies to support their criticisms of what we Christians believe to be the inspired, unerring Word of God. But the birthplace of the Savior is not the only prophetic point that these two evangelists verify. Both of these servants of God also give us a time frame for reference to corroborate their prophetic statements as to when this important event took place. As a matter of record, Luke states that the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus issued his first taxing decree when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and that taxing also included the descendants of Abraham. In this case, namely Joseph and Mary, who were required to go to Bethlehem because they were of the house and lineage of David. Matthew, on the other hand, simply states that Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the days of Herod the king. These statements call to my mind the prophecy of Patriarch Jacob, who said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now rather than simply allow this last statement to stand alone, I want to set the scene and establish the approximate time when this prophecy was first uttered. It was Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, who made the prophecy when he was on his deathbed. Jacob and his family were still in Egypt, where they had gone to escape death because of the famine that arose during the time that Joseph, Jacob's son, was privileged to be second in command in the government of Egypt. Jacob called his twelve sons to his bedside by saying, Gather yourselves together, 
that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Then one by one Jacob began to tell each one of his sons something that he felt they should know about themselves, and also what God had revealed to him would take place in the days to come. When it was his son Judah's turn to come before him, Jacob said to Judah, You are the one whom your brethren shall praise. Your hand shall be at the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Then followed these important words that I quoted earlier. Listen as I repeat them. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. What did this prophetic statement really mean? In the first place, it meant that Jesus would be born from the tribe of Judah. When I was quite young and first learned about the major differences there were among the many sons of Jacob, I couldn't understand why God would not have chosen for this honor the son who was the most upright, the one who lived righteously and obeyed both God and his earthly father. In my thinking, it seemed that Joseph should have been the one from whose line the Messiah, God's only begotten son, would have come. To me, it seemed that Joseph deserved to have that honor rather than his older brother Judah. But I had much to learn about God and how he deals with us, his created children. He is all-wise and all-knowing, and he does not need to take counsel from us in furthering his marvelous work of grace. Not much later, God sent one of his servants, an elder, to visit our congregation. He was a dedicated preacher of the word, a close friend of my father's, and an occasional guest in our home. He often used Old Testament texts, and the story of Joseph was one of his favorites. This man described God's awesome righteousness. He described his boundless love and mercy, and he also described his willingness to forgive our sins. He spoke of how God works sorrow a remorse over sin, how he creates a repentant spirit in the hearts of people who had even been hardened in sin. He also said that God's thoughts are not like our thoughts and God's ways are not like our ways. And there is one special thing with God and that is that he wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that there were many sinners in the lineage from which Jesus came, though Jesus himself was without sin because he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit and not through the corruptible seed of a sinful man. We also know that there was sin in the lives of all of Jacob's descendants. How can we ever forget that God's salvation is by grace? not by the merit or the worthiness of any mortal being. The biblical record not only contains some of the good things that people have done, but also the bad. The story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his jealous brothers 
contains many heart-wrenching episodes, but we do not have time to review them all. However, I do want to give you a glimpse into the heart of Judah at the time that he pleaded with his brother Joseph to be permitted to remain a slave in Egypt in place of his brother Benjamin. Judah did not then know that he was actually pleading his cause before his own brother Joseph. It is no wonder that the brothers did not recognize Joseph. Historians claim that Joseph was nearly 40 years old when his brothers came to Egypt to buy food, and it had been 23 years since they had sold him. In each meeting that Joseph had with them in Egypt, he kept his identity secret. He was trying to search their hearts to see if there had been any if there had been any change in them since the time when they had conspired against him and had sold him as a slave. First he accused them of being spies and put them in prison for three days. Then Joseph called them again to come before him. He listened as he overheard their conversation. He understood what they were saying when they acknowledged what they had done to their brother Joseph, how they had thrown him into a pit, how they had ignored his cries and his pleas, and showed no mercy to him. And they reached the conclusion that their present troubles came upon them because of that wrongdoing. They said that God was allowing them to reap only that which they deserved. When Joseph heard this, he turned his face away from them and wept, because he saw that his brothers were truly sorry for what they had done to him. Simeon was required to remain a prisoner in Egypt. The other brothers were released to go home with the food they had come to buy. But the food they had bought did not last long, for Jacob's family was large. There were sixty-six in number, plus the servants and the men who cared for the flocks. A return trip to Egypt became a must. At first Jacob was unwilling to let Benjamin go with his other sons. He said, Joseph is gone, and Simeon is gone, and now you will take Benjamin away also. But when the sons insisted that Benjamin must accompany them, or they would not be able to see the Egyptian ruler again, Jacob relented and let him go. Judah promised his father that he would be surety for Benjamin's safe return, and he added, If he does not come back, I will bear the blame forever. We remember that it was this same Judah who had proposed the plan to sell Joseph as a slave in the first place. On this second visit, Simeon was released from prison, and the brothers dined with Joseph, and to their amazement, they were seated at the table according to age. At the conclusion of the meal, Joseph instructed the servants to fill the sacks with grain, to put the money they had brought in the sacks as they had done the first time, and then to put his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers had traveled some distance on their way home, Joseph had them intercepted and required them to return and to face him once more. When they were accused of stealing his silver cup, each of Joseph's brothers was willing to have his sack opened and searched because not one of them knew anything about a stolen cup. But the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, and Joseph decreed that Benjamin must remain a slave in Egypt. 
It was then that Judah draw near to Joseph and began to plead with him, saying, O my Lord, let me, your servant, speak a word in your ears. Do not let your anger burn against your servants. Then he began to plead for his brother Benjamin. He explained once again how he was a child of their father's old age. His brother is dead, and Benjamin alone is left of his mother Rachel. And he explained how much his father loved him. He told Joseph that his father hesitated to let the lad go, but at last consented because there was no choice. They needed the food. Then Judah explained how he handled the matter with his father by saying, If I do not bring him back unto you, I will bear the blame to you forever. Then Judah concluded his plea by saying, I pray you, let me, your servant, abide instead of the lad. I will be a bondman to you, and let the lad go home with his brethren. How shall I go up and see my father, if the lad is not with me, lest I see the evil that shall come upon him? Now that I have come this thus far, I cannot see speaking of this moving drama at such a critical time. You must again witness this blessed moment in Jacob's family, even though you have heard it many times before. What a touching scene! We have been witnesses of Judah's willingness to take Benjamin's place and to remain a bondservant, and we have heard of the heartfelt plea he makes of his brother Joseph, albeit he did not know that the man that he was speaking to was he. Listen to this direct quote from the scriptures where it is written, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years has the famine been in the land, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt, haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt, come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children, and thy flocks and thy herds, and all that thou hast, and there will I nourish thee. For there are yet five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. What wonders God works in the hearts of sinners, 
such as Judah, what wonder is God continues to work in the hearts of sinners such as we are. It is for this very reason that Jesus came into the world. And incidentally, many believers look at Joseph as having been a type of Christ. I have taken much time to establish that Christ came from the tribe of Judah, and from this prophecy it is also evident that he came when the kingdom or the governmental authority had been taken away from the Jewish nation. No king or ruler from the house of Judah sat upon the throne. Herod, who was not of the house of Judah, not even of Jewish descent, Herod, a foreigner, ruled over the descendants of Abraham. This, of course, was to their great dissatisfaction and consternation. But this was the time for their Messiah to come, the Messiah whom Jacob referred to as Shiloh. Now let's come to the place in our text where the wise men arrive in Jerusalem. We all know that they did not find the newborn king there. In one sense, their search for him in Jerusalem was in vain, but in another sense, it was not in vain. And what do I mean by that statement? Doubtless the wise men had expected to find a festive air in the city. They would have thought that every Jew, yes, every descendant of Abraham, and especially those who were knowledgeable in the sacred writings, would have been ecstatic over the long-awaited advent of their Messiah. But everything was quiet. There was no talk whatever of the birth of their king. Everything was peculiarly routine, and it remained that way until the wise men asked their stirring question, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Then what happened? It is written that Herod was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. It is apparent that many in Jerusalem were disturbed, even troubled, by the news that a new king had been born, a king who was called the King of the Jews. To us it may seem strange that any of the descendants of Abraham would have been distressed over the reported advent of their Messiah, the Prince of Peace. But we know for sure that there were those who were not troubled because there were pious people in Jerusalem who were looking forward to Christ's coming and rejoiced in it, such as Simeon and Anna, of whom we will speak in detail in another message. Using the information gained from the scribes, Herod devised a wicked plan, a plan to protect his throne, to secure his reign over the Jews. His deceitful plan, based on using the wise men as his messengers, was a failure. Who can be found to fight against God and prevail? We read in Psalm 33, verse 10, that the Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to naught. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. Now for a moment, let's turn to the book of Micah and observe that the verse Matthew quoted ended with these words, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now this eternal truth must not only be a point of doctrine in our Christian faith, it must be the chief cornerstone, for none other than God himself in our form could have brought us redemption. Jesus' conception in the womb of the Virgin was not his beginning, 
It was not his origin. He had no beginning, for he was the word that was in the beginning with God, and that was God. What took place some 2,000 years ago, that which we celebrate at this time of the year, was his incarnation in human form, in order that he might rescue us from the wages of sin, that he might deliver us from the power of the devil, and that he might present us faultless before the throne of God on the last day. The journey of the wise men ended successfully. Joy filled their hearts at the sight of the star that again appeared before them and led them to the place where the Lord lay. The wise men are a good example of true faith. After having heard the word of the scriptures, they were not slow to believe in spite of what we might consider some major obstacles. God must open our hearts so that the Holy Spirit may reveal the truths of salvation because the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. These are the words of St. Paul. The reformer said that reason and nature never proceed any further than they can see and feel. The light of nature and the light of grace cannot be friends. Nature wants to feel and be certain before she believes. Grace believes even before she perceives. For this reason, nature does not go further than her own light, but grace joyfully steps out into the darkness. It follows the word of Scripture, no matter how it may appear to our sin-darkened minds. Whether nature holds it true or not, grace clings to the word of God. And so, dear friends, with the lowly Bethlehem shepherds who went immediately in search of the Savior, and with the wise men from the east who followed the star, let us walk in the light of God's holy word. Let us abide in its truth, so that we may know him whom to know aright is life eternal. Then the joy of salvation, the true joy of Christmas, will keep our hearts and our minds in Jesus Christ. In closing, I say to each one of you, let us unite in spirit that we may offer our Christmas praise in these unforgettable words that were spoken by Apostle Paul. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Amen. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Dear friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Oh.